be a part of it. When I arrived at the building, uh, one of the members here asked, where do I preach? And I tell them that, well, I really don't preach anywhere. Uh, I am not a full-time preacher, unlike some of the others who have been speaking with you this week. But I do take advantage of the opportunity as and recognize the responsibility I have as a Christian to be able to proclaim God's word whenever I have the opportunity. And so I look forward to this opportunity to uh, speak to you, speak with you about God's word, and hopefully as we open God's word and let God speak to us from his word, we can learn things that will help us to become better servants in his sight. To start off, I'd like you to think back to Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. We look back in Genesis chapter 12, when God spoke to him and told him that he was going to make him a great nation, that he was going to give him this land. And he told him that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth, going to be blessed. So, assume at that point in time that Abraham recognized that, well, there's going to be someone who is going to follow after me, who is going to be my heir, someone who is going to uh, continue my lineage. But then, may have had some doubts about that because even at that time, he was an old man. We look in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 4 and we note that some time has passed and this promised heir, this son, this seed that has been spoken of has not arrived yet. So Abraham says, well, maybe my servant can fulfill this role as my heir. And in verse 4 of Genesis 15, God speaking says, The word of Jehovah came to him, saying, This man shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. So he's going to have a son. He's not going to pass it off to some servant. He's going to have a son who's going to to, uh, be the promised one. Well, some more time passes, and there's still no son. So Sarah steps in, and says, well, you have a son by my handmaid. So in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 16, we see Abraham was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. But it was revealed to Abraham that, no, this was not the promised son. This is not the one. So more time passes. I think it's about 25 years after that initial promise was made in Genesis 21 and verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God had told him back in chapter 12, about 25 years early, you're going to have a son, you're going to have seed. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And some 25 later, that promise that God had given to Abraham, was fulfilled in that seed. 
but it took some time. And you might say that there was a little bit of impatience on the part of Abraham and Sarah. He offered his servant to be the heir, but no, that was not God's plan. Sarah offered her handmaid through whom Abraham could have a son, but that again was not God's plan. All we, we see Abraham being a man of faith, we recognize that. But Abraham failed in one respect in waiting for the Lord to carry out his plan. He needed to put his trust in God to recognize that God would carry out his plan as he intended. So much so that he tried to take matters into his own hand. He tried to help God along, he and Sarah tried to help God along in bringing about this promise. But he needs to recognize that God does not need in any help in that regard. God will bring, bring about his promises. And he did and provided the heir and the son to Abraham. When we think about waiting, we usually think about the idea of passing the time. How many of us have had to wait in the doctor's office? And you just wait and time seems to just creep and pass and you just sit there and you're waiting and waiting and time passes before the doctor finally comes in and sees you. Well, the same is true when we look at our relationship with God. There may be things going in our life that we may appeal to God for his intervention. And it seems that God doesn't necessarily respond to our request as quickly as we would want him to. And it's not just us. We see those who are in the Bible who have appealed to God in some way to help them in what some situation that they might be in. And they appeal to him, but there does not appear to be any action on God's part. And they come back to him and they say, for instance, in Psalm 6 and verse 3, My soul also is sore troubled, and thou, O Jehovah, how long? Here we see the psalmist in distress, waiting for help from God, and that help does not seem to be coming. Time is passing. He is waiting for God to take some action on his behalf. And God is not doing it. And so he says, how long? How long? We see other occasions where appeals are made to God. And as is the habit of men, when we make a request, when we ask for something, we want it instantly. We expect an immediate response. We expect action. And sometimes that action doesn't always take place as quickly as we want it. And so we begin to worry and to complain maybe and to appeal. Where is the help that I'm seeking? Make it come quickly. In Psalm 69 and verse 17, there it says, Hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in distress. Answer me speedily. That's what we want. We want a quick answer. 
We want a speedy answer. We want immediate action when we are facing a situation. But that's not always going to be the case. We cannot, especially as we are dealing with our Father in Heaven, we cannot put demands on Him as to when He should respond. He is not going to follow whatever timetable we have. He is going to do what He wants to do when He wants to do it. And the thing for us to learn is to be patient. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in its time. Also He hath set eternity in their hearts, yet so that man cannot find out the work that God hath done from the beginning even to the end. God is an eternal God. He existed before the beginning. He is everlasting. We are finite creatures. We measure things in time. Time is of no importance to God. So God will do the things that He wants to do. He will carry out His plans and His purposes in His time. And we need to learn how to wait and to be patient for God. But as we consider the idea of waiting, waiting on God, it does not always carry with it the idea of waiting for the passage of time. There's another way in which we must wait on God. And this does not necessarily involve patience or the passage of time. And I think we get a sense of that as we look at some passages that deal with this idea of waiting. For instance, in Psalm 30, in verse 20, Our soul hath waited for Jehovah. He is our help and our shield. Again, in Psalm 62, in verse 5, My soul, wait thou in silence for God only, for my expectation is from Him. In Psalm 130, in verse 5, I wait for Jehovah, my soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. Psalm 25 In verse 5, Guide me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee do I wait all the day. Again then, in Isaiah chapter 30, in verse 18, there it says, And therefore will Jehovah wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For Jehovah is a God of justice. Blessed are all they that wait on him. And again in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4. For from of old men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen a God besides thee, who worketh for him that waiteth for him. Again, in Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 22, 
Are there any among the vanities of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art thou not he, O Jehovah, our God? Therefore will we wait for thee, for thou hast made all these things. And finally, Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is Jehovah. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now in each of these verses that we read, there was the idea of waiting. But not necessarily dealing with the passage of time. And note the things that were involved that were connected to this idea of waiting. A recognition that God is our help, that he is a shield, that he can protect us and provide for us. That he is a God who will provide things for us and we have that expectation. We recognize that God cares for us and that he will provide those things that we need. The idea of his word that he has given to us that guides us and directs us and that we can hope in the promises that his word contains for us. The idea that God is a guide for us, that he leads us in the way that we should go. The idea that God is gracious to us and that he is merciful to us, especially as it relates to our sins. Because it is only through God that we can find forgiveness of our sins. And that is only through God's graciousness and through his mercy. The fact that God is a God who works for us. He has our best interests at heart. He is working for our good. The things that are contained in his word are for our benefit. He is the God who has made all things, including us. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. And if he knows us that well, then he knows what we need. And he is a God who will save. And we can look throughout the scriptures and see time after time in which God has saved his people. And he, we now have the hope that God can save us from our sins. So when we look at the idea of waiting on God, we need to recognize that it's not just waiting for time to pass until God finally decides that he's going to do whatever it is that he's going to do. Waiting on our part means that we are going to put our trust in God, that we are going to hope in him, that we depend upon him, that we recognize that he rules in our life, and that we have to submit ourselves to his will and not our wills. When we come to that recognition, when we have these attitudes in our lives, then we can truly wait on God. When we cast aside our wants, our desires, when we are willing up to give willing to give up control 
of our lives and hand it over to God and let Him control us and direct us. That is truly when we wait on the Lord. But waiting can be a challenge, again. Waiting involves, as I said, a submission of our will to God's will. Again, as we look at it, the idea from, of, of the passage of time, as we saw earlier, God had a plan. He had a will for Abraham and Sarah as far as their seed was concerned. But they, had to, they took steps on their own to try to facilitate God's will, as it were. And maybe when things aren't going the way that we want, we might want to abandon God's way and say, I think I can do things better. Well, that in a nutshell is the history of God's people. You look at the nation of Israel as they're in bondage in Egypt. And God brings them out with a mighty arm. And he manifests his power in the plagues that afflict the Egyptians. And the people see it. They understand how God has delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. He allows them to pass through the Red Sea on dry land. I don't know what more God could have done to demonstrate his power and his care and his love for his people. Yet, right after they get into the wilderness, we can see in Exodus chapter 16, Exodus 16 and verse 3, The children of Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They immediately began to complain, We don't have this, and we don't have that. Of course, we know that God provided them with manna, and with quail. Not to, uh, actually, earlier before, they encountered bitter water. That was remedied at the direction of God. Then in chapter 17 again, they're deprived of water again. They have no water. Verse, 17, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17, All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin by their journeys according to the commandment of Jehovah, and then kept at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And of course, we understand they immediately again began to complain. We have no water. It says in verse 3, The people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore hast thou brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? But then again, we know that God provided them with water. But considering all that God had done before, shouldn't the people have had the idea that God would provide them if he's willing to bring them out of Egyptian bondage to do all that was involved in bringing them up and bringing them to this point in time to that particular place that he could not provide for them. But they immediately 
began to complain. They were not willing to wait on God. They were not willing to depend on God and trust in Him that He would provide what they needed. And even as they go in Numbers chapter 14 to spy out the land and bring back a report of how plenteous the land was, that it indeed was a land flowing with milk and honey, yet it was inhabited by giants. And they lived in fortified cities. And in their eyes, in their estimation, their assessment of things, there was no way that they could conquer the land. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 says that they lifted up their voices and cried and they wept. And in verse 4, they determined that they were going to make a captain and return to Egypt. That was their plan. That was their assessment of the situation, what they needed to do. We can't take the land. These inhabitants are going to defeat us, so let's return to Egypt. Note the response of Joshua and Caleb in verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were with them that spied out the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto the congregation of, of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is, exceeding, is an exceeding good land. If Job delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against Jehovah, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is removed from over them, and Jehovah is with us. Fear them not. Who was waiting on God? Who was waiting on Jehovah? Joshua and Caleb show that they were because they put their trust in God. They depended upon him. They recognized that God said he was going to give this land to them, and so God is going to keep his promise. They had no doubts. There was no hesitation for them to do whatever it was that God required of them to bring about his purpose of giving them the land. Yet the rest of the congregation is crying and weeping and ready to go back to Egypt. We cannot always assess situations based on our evaluation of the situation and come to the same conclusion that God is going to come to because God sees things differently than we see it. In Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 5, it says, Trust in Jehovah with all thy heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. The danger is, is when we try to analyze and assess a situation and think that we can come up with the best way to deal with the situation, rather than turning it over to God and putting our trust in Him to recognize that He knows what's best for us and that He will provide what we need. In Isaiah chapter 55, 
Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 8. Passage familiar to us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith Jehovah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not going to see a situation where we see a situation that is destined to defeat. God sees a situation that is going to result in victory. We need to look at things through the eyes of God. We need to see things as God sees them, not as we see them. If we look at the situation, we may shrink back in fear. But if we see it in the way that God sees it, then we can move forward with confidence and with conviction. But how do we get to the benefit of seeing and benefiting from God's ways. Look back in verse 6 of Isaiah 55. Seek ye Jehovah while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto Jehovah and he will have mercy upon him and and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What do we have to do? We have to seek God. We need to call upon him. We need to do his will. We need to forsake sin. We need to forsake our way and be willing to submit to his will. Along this line, we see a situation in Joshua Joshua chapter 9. As we enter into the book of Joshua, the people are about to enter into the land to conquer it. And we see all that is done in the preparation and uh, the, for the defeat and the eventual defeat of the city of Jericho. Marching around it and the walls fell down. God gave the city into their hands. And after the sin of Achan was resolved, they were able to go into Ai and to defeat that city. So they had to be feeling pretty confident about their successes. And God had told them that they were go, to go in and to uh, destroy all of those that were round about them. All the nations, they, the nations that inhabited the land, they were to be, to be destroyed so that they would not be an influence for evil on God's people. Yet the Gibeonites we see in chapter 9 had heard about what God had done for Israel in bringing them to this point. The nations that they had defeated, the fact that they had been able to escape Egyptian bondage. And so they devised a plan whereby they could make peace with Israel. And the Israelites fell for it, as it were. And I think it's interesting to note what it says in chapter 9. They beheld the old wineskin, the worn out clothes, the moldy bread, 
of the Gibeonites and believed that they had come from some distance, that they were not inhabitants of the land. And so they made a covenant with them that they would not hurt them. So verse 14 it says, And the men took of their provision and asked not counsel at the mouth of Jehovah. That's all that is said about that situation. But I think that verse is very important as it relates to putting our trust in God. Whether it was due to their successes, their victories that they had had, maybe they thought that they were of such a, uh, that they had had such success and were uh, so powerful now that maybe they didn't need to consult with God or ask Him His advice. They went and did this on their own. And as a result, the Gibeonites dwelt among them. Yet, what would have happened if they had asked the counsel of God as it suggested that they should have done here? They did not ask for God's counsel. Again, I think that just verifies the idea that they had and the idea that we often have that I can handle things in my life myself and I don't need God. We need to understand that God needs to be in our lives, that he needs to direct our lives, that we need to appeal to him. They could speak directly to God. God speaks to us in his word and he guides us and directs us in his word. We can speak to him in prayer and come to him with the problems that we are facing and ask for his help. We need to put our trust in God and appeal to him and ask him to help us rather than taking things into our own hands. Because if we do, we're destined to failure. Well, how is it that we develop this attitude or this ability to wait on the Lord. Let's look in Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And I'd like to begin by looking at the last verse. Verse 14. Wait for Jehovah. Be strong and let thy heart take courage. Yea, wait thou for Jehovah. I think this verse reveals, us, reveals for us two things that we need to be able to wait on God, to have that mindset in our lives. We need to be strong and we need to take courage. Now, I think it's interesting also, as we look at this verse and the idea of waiting on the Lord, being connected with being strong and taking courage, that you look back to Joshua chapter 1, where Joshua is now going to be leading the people. Of course, this is prior to the events that we just read about in verse in chapter 9. 
But there, God instructs Joshua in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt cause the people to inherit the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous to observe, to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. I think there God is telling Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous and do the law. Observe all of the law that Moses has delivered to you. He is telling Joshua, you need to wait on me. And you need to be very strong and very courageous. And I think when we get to the events of chapter 9, I think they were weak and not very courageous. Otherwise, they would have sought God's help in this situation. If we are going to wait on the Lord, we must be strong and courageous. Strong, not in the sense of of strength. I think it requires a strength of will. Because our wills are strong. And we need strength to control them so that we can allow God's will to work in our lives rather than our will. It's very hard. We see things that we want to do or we want to do things in the way that we feel they should be done rather than following what God reveals to us in His Word. It takes strength to cast aside our will and do the will of God. But God requires us to be strong, to have that strength of will, that strength of character that will put our wills and our desires aside and follow after what God wants for us. And it also takes courage to put your hand, put your life in the hands of someone else takes courage. And some of these, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they call them, but they have these uh, uh, events where you uh, might get together to try to learn with your co-workers how to work together and and build up uh, uh, collegiality, things of this nature. And I can recall being involved in something like that where they ask you to get someone uh, uh, stand by, behind you and you just stand up and fall back. And that person is supposed to catch you. Now, do you trust that person enough to fall back and let them catch you? Or are they going to be somewhere else and they're not going to catch you? It takes a little courage to be able to do that. Well, that's what we have to do. We have to have courage to know that God is going to take care of us and that we don't have to be in control, that we can give up control and let God rule in our lives. God requires that of us if we are going to wait upon him. And we see the strength and this courage exemplified in the preceding verses in this chapter. 
In verse 1, Jehovah is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jehovah is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You talk about courageous. If we have that courage that we're going to put our trust in God, then who do we have to be afraid of? Even as here, the psalmist is suffering persecution. There are threats to his life. His life is in jeopardy. Yet he is not going to fear because of these threats. He's going to put his trust in Jehovah. And even though he's facing those threats, he is not afraid. When evildoers, it says in verse 2, come uh, upon me to eat up my flesh, even mine adversaries and my foes, they stumble and fell. Though a host should camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, even then will I be confident. That is what it takes to wait on Jehovah. To have that courage and that confidence to know that God is there God is going to provide for us. God is going to take care of us. Again in verse 4, One thing have I asked of Jehovah, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Jehovah all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of Jehovah and to choir at his temple. God wants us to serve him. God wants us to worship him. We seek Jehovah. We look to his word. As we are here today, we assemble together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Build each other up. Serve each other. Serve God. Worship God. These things help us and build us up and prepare us and develop within us that mindset that we are going to put our trust in God, that we are going to wait for him. Dropping down again to verse 8. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Jehovah, will I seek. We need to seek Jehovah. We need to seek his face. We need to go to him. He is the one that we desire. He is the one that we long for. We don't resort to others, to the wisdom of men. We look to God and to his word, there we find hope and there we find comfort. And we look and see what God has done for us in the past. As we know that before with the children of Israel, they had seen all the mighty works that God had done for them. Yet when trouble arose, they complained. We have those things recorded for us. We see God working in our lives. And what does that tell us? It tells us that we can put our trust in God. Let us wait on him. Let us trust him in him and let us hope in him and he will provide for us. Verse 13, I have faded unless I believe to see the goodness of Jehovah in the land of the living. It's not that we must wait until the life to come to see God's goodness. We see God's goodness now. God provides for us now in this life. But most importantly, he will provide for us in eternity if we are willing to serve him. 
if we put our trust in Him. So as we face persecution, as we face trials and troubles in this life, we must wait on Jehovah and put our trust in Him to know that He will guide us. He will provide for us. There, as we look around in our lives, there are many things that can discourage us and draw us away from serving God. Psalm 37 speaks of the idea of seeing those around us who are wicked, who seem to have everything go for them. Why is it that the wicked in this life are prospering and those who are seeking to serve God may be suffering? We may ask that question. And we may not get the answer that we want. And it may be something that discourages us and causes us to give up. In those situations, we cannot give up. But we must continue to wait on the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 7. Rest in Jehovah and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. And then going down to verse 9, he concludes, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait for Jehovah, they shall inherit the land. We cannot get discouraged when we are faced difficulties in our life and we look around and see others who have no regard for God and his law, who were successful as far as this world is concerned, in the eyes of this world. They have riches, they have things maybe that we desire. But God is going to provide us those things that we need. And we just need to put our trust in him and not be discouraged when we see that so-called disparity. Because they may have the world but we have the hope of eternity. And we must wait on Jehovah despite his chastening. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of Jehovah, neither be weary of his reproof. There may be times when God corrects us, as he has corrected his people in a number of occasions. And in the face of that correction, we cannot get discouraged. There are parents who may attempt to correct their children, and that correction really turns into abuse. What's going to happen to that child? That child is going to get discouraged. It's going to lose hope. But God is not a God who is going to overcorrect us, as it were. He will correct us in measure. But even in his correction, we cannot get discouraged. We need to look at it as a blessing because it's a recognition that God loves us. God cares for us. Otherwise, he would not correct us. We need to have the attitude of God's people as they were going to face correction. In Jeremiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 19. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah, 
Hath thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us, and there is no healing for us? We look for peace, but no good came, and for a time of healing, and behold, dismay. We acknowledge, O Jehovah, our wickedness, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Are there any among the vanities of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art thou not he, O Jehovah our God? Therefore, we will wait for thee, for thou hast made all these things. If we give up on God, who can we go to? Who else is there for us? There is no hope. All we have, all we can hope in, is God. Let us not forsake Him, even if He chastises us, if we, even if we suffer. We cannot give up on God, but we need to continue to trust in Him and depend upon Him. Because we must wait on God if we want to be saved. He is our salvation. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9 says, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is Jehovah. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. There is no one else that we can go to for salvation. Save Jehovah. And he will give us the strength. He will provide everything that we need to obtain that salvation. So our hope tonight is for you to take advantage of that salvation. To be willing to wait on God. Hope in him. Trust in him and you will be saved. For those of you who are not members of the body of Christ, that begins, as we noted earlier, by putting away sin out of our lives, following God in his word, trusting in him, and he will save us. He will provide for us all that we need to serve him, to follow after him. And we can be saved. But you have to commit yourself to doing his will. By responding in obedience to his word, what does his word say for us to do? Hearing that word, we must believe it. Believe that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Be willing to repent of the sins. Turn from a life of sin and turn to God in service to him. To confess his Son, as the Christ, the Son of God, our only hope, and to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of our sins. For those of us who are Christians, if we have not lived as God would want us to live, if we have lost our courage, if we have lost our strength, if we have decided, I want to do my will and not God's will, 
We need to give our, get our lives back in order. We need to turn back to Him and let Him rule in our lives. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, They that wait for Jehovah shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My, my hope and prayer for us is as we go through this life, as we face the issues of this life, the good times, the bad times, whatever they may be, the successes, the failures, that we wait on God, that we put our trust in Him, that we recognize that this life is not all there is, and that we focus on the life that is to come and seek it, seek Jehovah. If anyone needs to respond to the gospel tonight, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.